Hello. My name's Tom McCullough. I play drums for South of Eden, and I'm here with my pal. What's your name, pal? Oh, hello. My name's Justin from South of Eden. Hey, Justin. What do you play, man? I play the guitar. Hi, and you're listening to Stephen Michael on the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Yeah, crank it on up, mate. Welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast. We've got a special episode for you guys here tonight. We are spotlighting a new band called South of Eden. And with us tonight, we have the guitar player Justin Young with us. Hey, Justin. Hello. How are you, sir? Doing well. We also have the drummer, Tom McCullough. Tom, what's going on? What's <laughs> Sweet. Tom turned into the Budweiser frog before we knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, what rock bands were you listening to when you were just starting to discover rock and roll? Well, basically, the way it started for me was my dad, man. He played in a lot of different bands in the 80s in and around Columbus. So when I was born, he it was from day one, really, because we, we have this picture of the first time I ever sat behind a drum set. I'm like three days old, and dad's just like holding me behind it. That's really how it kicked off. And so that started off with like the Metallica, Ozzy, Dio, Anthrax, Slayer stuff that like he grew up on and then uh that slowly progressed because then he went through and like started kind of rediscovering the, the 70s shit that he had like grown up on as a kid like ELO, zeppelin deep purple grand funk and all them right so we kind of went on this discovery together where like he was rediscovering the shit and i was listening to it for the first time and i got on that train of like the the 70s 60s era rock when i was like 14 and kind of haven't gotten off since so that's killer. Now, was your dad also a drummer? Yeah, yeah, he played drums. He taught me everything I know. All right, cool. Same question to you, Justin. What was it for you? You know, it's an interesting question because I didn't have that direct influence like Tommy had. Like, my dad fiddled around on the guitar a little bit, but he was he was a lefty. So it was like every time I picked it up, it just like something was like off. So my uncle was actually a drummer, ironically, and he was like super into Rush. Okay. And I would always like go over to his house and he would be like blaring Rush on his giant ass, you know, PA system and playing along to subdivisions or playing along to Limelight or whatever it was. So that was like my first like real introduction to music. I actually started playing drums first because of that and then eventually gravitated towards the guitar. And what did it for me, like for the guitar, when I started, like, you know, got my first guitar and I actually started playing on it, it was ACDC and Angus Young. 
like I felt like as a kid I had all this energy and I was watching this guy on stage. I, I had the, um, my dad had this ACDC live at Donington in 91 or whatever right. DVD and would put it on. And I'm just like watching this guy go crazy, you know, back and forth, crazy nuts out the whole time. And then, you know, the whole show opens and he, he walks out on stage, puts his hand in the air and the crowd just goes nuts. And I was like, okay, that's something that I could like do. That's I could be a performer. Like I could, you know, and then immediately after discovering that I discovered Van Halen's live without a net DVD where Eddie just, I mean, he's just on fire that entire show. I mean, the whole band is, and that was just a different, I mean, that was like seeing somebody play the guitar literally perfectly. You know what I mean? Right. It was like, actually I was seeing somebody make, make the guitar give sounds that I've never heard anybody else, you know, do. And it blew my mind. So those were the two that I really, really got me into this rock and roll journey to start off with. Yeah. And I think that those influences come through in a lot of your music. I mean, I heard Van Halen and ACDC and a lot of, not so much Rush, obviously, but a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of that stuff comes through, you know, for people that are just now getting into the band, they may not know, but Justin, you're a fairly serious musician in the fact that you did end up at Berkeley for some period of time, correct? I did. Actually, I went to the, a two-year articulation school, right, or a school that had an articulation agreement with Berkeley in Cleveland, which was nice because it was only two hours away from home, and I could kind of drive back and forth every other weekend whenever I wasn't working or whatever. But that was a little bit smaller of a group. Like, I, you know, I was with the same you know, 12 or 15 kids in the classes and the ensembles. And that was actually like a really cool experience because you were around a lot, you know, the same people, you know, more or less every day going through the same thing, trying to reach the same goal as you. And I was put into a lot of situations playing music like Brazilian jazz. Like I would have, I would like you told me when I was 14, I would have gotten into fucking Brazilian jazz. I would have been like, what the fuck are you talking about? But that's just one, you know, Brazilian samba music is is an amazing, amazing genre of music, just classic American jazz. You know, that's like that was like the first true American made art form. And then at Berkeley, you know, the best thing that was that kind of granted me the opportunity to do nothing but focus on playing the guitar. So like for the first time in my life, like I was just actually playing nonstop, like nine, 12 hours a day, but it was focusing on a lot of this like crazy intricate jazz stuff or, you know, a Jerry Reed chicken picking class, which it sounds like, you know, that's, um, oh my God, dude, that was the coolest class I fucking took at Berkeley was that Jerry. I mean, Jerry look Reed up at Jerry Reed guitar playing and Chet Atkins. Oh my God, their guitar playing is incredible. So, you know, it introduced me to a lot of different playing and a lot of different styles. And I, I hear those sounds in my head now when we write music and when I'm playing my solos on stage and I start to kind of, you know, those sounds come out, hopefully in, in like a cool rock and roll way. But at the same time, you know, it's music and it blends, you know what I mean? And I like kind of throwing those little daggers. Yeah, right in there. <laughs> I think I looked at that as the first thing. Daggers. <laughs> I think there's nothing wrong with being a well-versed musician. And I think to your point, it opens up a lot of different doors that can allow you to incorporate some of that stuff in rock music. To your point, guys like Jerry Reed and Roy Clark and Chet Atkins, 
there were some amazing techniques with some of these guys, especially with the chicken picking and stuff like that, that I absolutely love. And I think there's some sort of, uh, I don't know, myth or stereotype that says uh, hard rock and rock and roll and metal guys only listen to hard rock and metal and stuff like that. And that's, that's just not true. If anyone would ever say that to me, I would ask them, what the hell did Black Sabbath listen to when they were growing up? Because <laughs> <laughs> if hard rock and heavy metal musicians only listened to hard rock right. and heavy metal, then what the what hell they were they listening, listening to, to in 1968, you know? I mean, they were listening to the Beatles and like, let's say Elvis and Blue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Most definitely. Tom, when you were going to school, when you were in high school and stuff like that, did you guys discover a lot of music trading back and forth with uh, friends you were hanging around with? Was that one of the ways you picked up on uh, new music and stuff like that? Well, honestly, I uh, there was no, there was like a small group of people that I hung out with. It was like four or five people that like liked the same kind of music that I did. Right. But every to everyone else in school, I was like, you know, kind of the vintage music geek with the long hair and stuff, you know? So mainly all of my music discoveries came from you know, me and my dad kind of doing it together or me, you know, listening to some kind of new classic rock song on the radio and being like, yo, what the hell is this song? And he's like, oh, I think that's Skinner turns out to be the Eagles. You know? yeah. He's like, it's the one that goes like, do, do, do. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll Google search that. <laughs> but then once I got, uh, once I got out of high school, you know, and, and I linked up with Justin and Ehab, that's when I really started kicking loose for me because then Justin and me have very similar influences and have, you know, our whole lives. So we always got something to show each other that the only other one hasn't seen. And then Ehab had that, this whole background with like pop music and like funk music and stuff like that. And he's able to show me some of that stuff. It's pretty cool. And I helped introduce him to like the more seventies, like hard rock kind of yeah. stuff. Like Tommy, Tommy is like this, just this rock and roll library from like 1967 to like 1979 <laughs> is like really like, like that's where his real bread and butter. Honestly, I probably, I don't know if I would have sat through an entire grand funk railroad album without Tommy, because I would have never like thought of like doing that, right. which sounds just so stupid and blasphemous. You know, it's <laughs> just crazy. But now we listen to, um, what's the, what's the record that you always play the most closer to home? Yeah. Oh my oh, God. Yeah. I mean, there's not a, song that you can skip on that album no it's crazy no so he tommy is great with that and like he said like we're always like i'm always pulling some you know van halen or acdc b side and or you know some tom petty b side and those um, are the ones that hit deep because like i'm a tom petty fan but i've never like really which is you know when we're just starting you have no idea and the thing about like tom petty is is that i could play you two and a half to three hours worth of music and it would be hit. Like if I wanted to, I could play two and a half hours of hits. Yeah. And you would know every fucking song. Yeah. But I could also show you all the fucking deep, like you said, the, oh my God, man, he's like, something was something else, man. It's crazy that he's gone. Yeah. Crazy that fucking Neil's gone. I mean, it's like everybody's, it's just, it's terrible, man. Speaking of losing important people in music uh, did you see a couple days ago lee kerslake died oh yeah, yeah. from freaking uh your eye heap and the first two ozzy albums yeah it's crazy uh, yeah i did see that yeah we're lo- we're losing them left and right and to people that are, are my age i got a few years on you guys and and 
<laughs> those, you know, those bands were big to me when I was in my teens. So that means at this point, guys are hitting close to 70. So unfortunately, there's nothing you can do about father time and the amount of drugs and alcohol that people have done. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's, yeah. there's a reason why people like, in my opinion, like, like, you know, Ted Nugent or Sammy Hagar, you know, I know Sammy Hagar, you know, he drank and stuff, but Sammy, I mean, comparatively speaking, didn't really party that hard. And same with, you know, I mean, Ted Nugent had drank no cigarettes and stuff. I mean, I swear he looks like he's in his early fifties if that, you know, and he's what, I think he's well into his seventies now, isn't he? No, he's definitely mid probably. Yeah. I think he's 72 maybe. But yeah, that's just, you know, that's, that's the thing that we, we try to take care of our bodies. You know what I mean? Like we like to have fun, but at the end of the day, like what's the point if you're not around to enjoy it? So that's kind of, that's kind of the way that we look at it. Well, and I think it's four times as worse for drummers. Drummers really are, that's a physical job. Yeah, and way too many drummers have dropped because they don't take care of themselves like they should, you know? And that's a real shame because it's like, there's a very good possibility. Because I've seen a lot of really like kick-ass bands in my life. Like, I've seen Motley Crue and Fleetwood Mac, and I got to see Rush and Van Halen and all that. But it's like, man, I couldn't imagine what it would be like if Zeppelin and The Who were still together with Bonham and Keith Moon. Right. Or actually be purple being together. Well, no, I got to see on a bass. Yeah, but Richie Blackmore wasn't in the band. Yeah, he's not dead. He's just like crazy. I know, but that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, you need the whole uh, damn thing. You need the whole... I've, I've rarely ever seen any of those bands actually complete. I think Motley Crue and Rush were probably the only two I've seen, like, that kind of legendary yeah, status. No, because Michael Anthony wasn't there. We did an episode fairly recently where we took about five or six musicians that had passed away over the years and did sort of a, a what-if what if they had never passed away? What would have, what would they have gone on to do? What would their legacy have been, and how would it have changed? You know, the musical historic landscape. Had John Bonham never passed away, had Jim Morrison never passed away, what would have happened? What would they be doing today? Any of them. I mean, Bonham, Bon Scott. Oh I mean, my God, um, Randy. I mean, yeah. we've got man. There's, there's oh, Cliff. Cliff. I mean, that's Cliff. a whole band right there. What, that's a singer, a drummer, a guitar <laughs> player, a bass player? Dude, that's a whole band. Shit, that's a good band right that's there. That's a good band. Could, could you imagine Cliff Burton from Metallica and John Bonham? With Randy Rhodes. With Randy Rhodes, dude. What and Paul they Jim Morrison fucking saying, Jeez. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be gross, dude. Dude, there's time in there, and that's a fucking two-headed guitar monster. Now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's obvious that we could sit here and shoot the shit about rock and roll all day long. I mean, that's the cool shit. But I want to ask some questions about the band because I first heard of the band as Black Coffee. I got that Black Coffee record and absolutely loved it. Somebody posted on our Facebook page and said, hey, you should check this band out. And it was the first video. Uh, what was it? Creamer and uh, whatever that first single was on the black coffee record. And that was roughly about a year, maybe a year and a half ago. And we spotlighted black coffee on the show back then.
Hey, thank you for that, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> delayed on the response. I was dragging my cigarette, but <laughs> my uh, co-host said, "Well, you know, this South of Eden band uh, used to be Black Coffee," and I said, "No, I did not know that." And they said, "Yeah." So, what's the story there? Well, so I mean, essentially, the reason for the name change is we added a bass player. You know, when we were Black Coffee, we were a three-piece. Ehab was our lead vocalist. He was playing, you know, double duty. He was playing bass and he was singing. And he became a really, really awesome bass player. And we wrote some really cool music as Black Coffee. Um, but we really wanted to kind of free him to do the frontman thing and then, you know, maybe pick up an acoustic guitar here and there and bring in a bass player who, you know, his heart and soul is playing the bass. And that's what we got when we brought in Nick. We've kept that original vibe from Black Coffee, but we've just felt like this we've kind of upped the ante a little bit, so to speak. And also covering our bases, we we had been informed which we didn't know about there's a a dj who goes by the name of black coffee and he was featured on a drake album he's got you know he had all the you verified on you know all of the social media platforms and black coffee is like it's an undefinable term so like you can't copyright or trademark black coffee (laughs) so like it became one of those things where it's like you can't kind of like copyright we're not going into like a legal nightmare so let's just have that transition and make it now and and not have to worry about anything in the future so so yeah man that's the short of it (laughs) how do you guys consume your music do you buy physical product are you streamers are you downloaders how about you justin Personally, I like to I like to buy albums okay. on iTunes just because that was like the height of the technology that was coming out when I was like in high school. Like it was like Facebook just came out, and then iTunes just came. I was like, oh wow, I can download this. Just I can right. buy this album wow. right here. Right. So like you know, and when I listen to something, I don't you know I don't like just. I'm just one of those people that I, when I put, I don't really I hate to say it, but I'm not like a big playlist guy. I don't like shuffling like from artist to artist when i listen to something i like listening it's like oh i really want to listen to rush today or i really want to listen to aerosmith today or i really want to listen to van halen today whatever it is and that's kind of like what i go with so that's how i do it how about you tom well i'm, I'm kind of torn in between like the ultra old school and the ultra modern way because when i'm working like on the car or like whatever I like to throw on like a playlist I have made, which I'm just like streaming, which is gross because like I really shouldn't do that. I should buy. Yeah. I'm a musician. Yeah, I really should. They've made it too damn. Convenient. I know, damn it. That's why they should just ban it. They're getting freaking. They're getting musicians in. Well, but but we love we love all of our streamers. Yeah, you know, we love them. Wait a minute, I'm gonna stop you right there Uh-oh. because it's not just that what I, I heard out of you, but it's in general this streaming shame has to stop. <laughs> and here's, <laughs> here's why I say that. I have a very distinct perspective of streaming. This is interesting because I've never really, I've never really heard somebody defend streaming. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, from a music person, I'm interested to hear this. Right. I'm going to defend it a bit because I know that people, I have musician friends and I have regular everyday, doesn't have anything to do with the music business friends. First of all, I know a ridiculous amount of musicians that stream because they're traveling all the time and that's how they consume their music. It's convenient. But my perspective on streaming, and this is how I treat streaming, I've discovered probably no less than 100 new bands in the past two to three years through streaming that I would have never discovered on my own. From that, 
I've gone out and personally purchased records, concert tickets, or merchandise from a lot of those bands that I discovered. Yeah, and that is a good thing. That 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 is the accessibility and the ease of getting music into people's hands. Because like we're musicians, right? So that's just a really great way yeah. to get your product into people's hands. Yeah, that's, yeah. We we love to be on those playlists because exactly like you said, like, and we've been lucky. We've discovered enough. so many bands. I mean, oh dude, yeah, we we have a whole list of like new bands that we've discovered that are kick ass that we've discovered because we all stream, you know, yeah. we're all, and you know, at the end of the day, like we, you know, we we're like I said, we've been lucky enough to like get on a lot of awesome playlists. And mm-hmm. like Tom said, like we discover new music with that, which is really, really great. And it's become extremely accessible to a wider audience. And at the end of the day, you know, we make the music so that we can go play shows for people. You provide a good time for them. So, you know, the quicker and the faster that it can spread to the masses, you know, that's cool with me. Yeah. Do I believe that there needs to be a happy medium found between the streaming services and the artist in terms of payment? I absolutely believe that. There's no doubt about it. It's not going away. Streaming's not going away. So we can either fight it and it doesn't help the band and it doesn't put more money in your pockets or everybody that likes rock and roll can get on board, start streaming your favorite rock artist, and then go support those rock artists by picking up the records you love, picking up the concert tickets to see the band live, and picking up the merch. That's how we help rock and roll, I think. Oh, absolutely. 110% agree. Yep, and what you said about the middle ground is 100% right. If something like that, like you said, is reached, that would just be amazing. It would take away all of my stream shaming. But at the end of the day, I also think that it's like important to kind of like educate people on like a good way to listen to an album. Cause I feel like a lot of people, especially in our generation have like kind of short attention spans. For sure. So like they can't put an album on and listen to it front to back. And it's not like the attention span that makes a difference. It's just as an artist, you listen to something like dark side of the moon, or you listen to something like blizzard of Oz, or you listen to something like master of puppets, or you listen to something like Zeppelin four, but it's like, it's a, it's a whole piece. You know what I mean? It's, it's front to back, start to finish. And it's like an entire painting. You wouldn't just take one tenth of the painting and only look at that. And this all came from my dad because he's old school as hell. So he, I'd be like 13. He'd be like, all right, we're going to sit down and listen to this Dio album or whatever. Right. And we would just sit down. He put it on the turntable and we just listened to the whole freaking thing. And it was sick because you got to experience the entire piece. So I do like streaming. However, People need to be educated on how to listen to an album. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, and we're, and, you know, I think this year was the first, or maybe it was 2019 is when they, because they got the data, but it was the first year that vinyl outsold. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and forever. Since 80 something, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, I think it's interesting that you said people need to be educated about streaming and how to listen to an album. My generation, I grew up on listening to an album start to finish. And now I listen to a lot of playlists. It's true. And I actually think that my attention span is absolutely short. I have attention deficit disorder without a doubt. <laughs> I, think, I think we all yeah, do. That. I've gone out of my way to try and make it a point so that I can listen to a full album from start to finish at least a few times to really let it sink in before I start taking songs from that album and throwing them on a playlist. I I love that. I mean, when I think back to the albums that I listened to growing up, 
These albums were only really 33 to 35 minutes long. That's kind of perfect. I don't necessarily love eight-minute epic songs. It seems like nowadays, and I don't know whether it's because of the space that you get to uh, record on a on a CD or whatever, but some of the new albums that have come out lately by what I would consider a melodic pop metal band, where in my opinion, the song should be three to four minutes long. They're more like five and six minutes long. And I don't know whether that's a symptom of the band producing themselves or they just get extra space, but I don't know. I think it lacks a producer for lack of a better word. I think some of these songs could be cut down uh, when I listen to them and, and be much better songs. It's not, I don't know if I'm getting my point across. No, you are. I think think it, a lot of times it varies depending on the artist and you're right, the relationship with their producer and things like that. And I don't know, we have like one song on the album that's a little... Yeah, we have, like, we have a believer. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, like you're right, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't even really listen to songs. I mean, that's how, how some like attention spans are so short. People can't make it through a single song before switching to the next one. So yeah. it's like... You know, we like to keep our songs straight and to the point, and you know, have, and when we cut loose, we just cut. Yeah, and when loose. we cut, and we, when we cut loose, we cut loose. You know, because if you're into that, then that's what you want to hear, anyways. And if you're not into that, it's just like one or two songs on the album. Yeah. Where you really fucking. We got to get the, go. the the sound out of our head first. And once <laughs> we have that, then we're then we've got a good solid song. And and honestly, on that same point, man, on that a whole album bit, you know, you saw there's a few modern bands that ha- you know still put their albums together like art pieces you know what i mean and one of them namely is the black keys i love the black keys that album they had the el camino album that came out in 2011 you can listen to the entire thing front to back and never get bored and it's just some songs are a little longer some songs are shorter you know but it's laid out smartly and uh we tried to do that on take one we did what we could with the ep you know with only having four songs but then you'll see it on the the full album whenever it drops it'll be laid out to where, you know, we at least feel like we can listen to it and not get sleepy. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I can appreciate that. When I would listen to Yes, I understand a seven or eight minute song. Same for Rush. Occasionally Iron Maiden, although Iron Maiden kind of became a band I didn't love when they started doing all the epic tunes. Yeah. I like those Power Slave and Peace of Mind tunes when they were three and a half, four and a half minute long uh, songs. That was okay with me, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so you guys got signed to Lava Records, uh, which is the same record label that a band like Greta Van Fleet is on, correct? Correct. And Jason Flom, is he the guy that signed you? Yeah. So Jason's got a long, rich history in the record industry, and he's signed a lot of great bands. You guys are one of those bands along with Greta Van Fleet. And why I keep bringing Greta Van Fleet into this is because in a lot of ways, you guys are kind of along that path line. You're the, what I would consider new face of young rock and roll today. They got signed by Jason. They're on Lava Records. You guys are on Lava Records. You're signed by Jason. They decide that they're going to release an EP as their first release you guys released an EP as your first release. Is this a, a Lava Record format? And are they going to spend a fraction of the amount of money that they spent on promoting Greta Van Fleet? Because it sure as hell helped them out. Well, the deal is, 
we do not like EPs as a band and as artists. We think they're a little silly and like we like albums, you know, and then you can listen to what you want off the album, really. But considering the way the world was going, you know, and is going currently with uh, COVID-19 and all that, we have been kind of teasing and kind of getting, you know, everybody pumped up a little bit for new music, uh, thinking that we were going to drop some singles and then be able to drop an album around this time. Go on the road. Yeah, and go on the road. But of course, COVID shut everything down and we realized like, man, we, we got to get music to the fans. Like we've, we, we strung them along a little bit. Like we got to give them something. So we decided that the best way to do that would be to do the four song EP, kind of a taster platter, if you will, of the album and then release the full album in its entirety come like early next year. Yeah. And hopefully at the beginning of the, or at the end of this year, or early next year, and cause we didn't want to release, you know, this music that we're so proud of in this album without being able to go and promote it on the road, you know, the, the grassroots way, the way that we know how to do it. So it's not really a format, so to speak, as far as, you know, promotions are concerned. I think that the promotions will be taken care of. You know, that's why we, you know, a big reason why we decided to go with Lava, you know, in the first yeah. place and with Jason. And I think that that will come to fruition. You know, and we like to, you know, when, when the world opens up and we like to just let the music speak for itself. So we're not really worried about that. Yeah, and honestly, that's one of the things Jason and Lava are really great about is artistically speaking, they're 100% hands-off pretty much. And so yeah, they have full faith and full, yeah, faith, full trust in us. Full trust, yeah. And so, you know, we, we came to them with the idea of the EP. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that about Lava because I believe Sam told me the exact same thing about Lava for Greta Van Fleet. So uh, that's good to hear. It's an interesting time in music these days because... I think really you can find success with a record label or without a record label. I mean, Dirty Honey. Just about to mention them. They've made a lot of head wave and they've done it without a record label. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's something that we contemplated for a really long time, you know, because we had heard a lot of horror stories about bands getting signed early on and getting into really bad deals. And, you know, we're really fortunate that we took the time, we took our time in and we, we made sure that we didn't get, you know, put into any situation where we are under leverage at all. Right. You know, we, we super, super thankful and, and grateful for the, for that opportunity. Not that we were really looking for any format to any, anybody to look up to formulate our plan, but, you know, we get to kind of do both. You know what I mean? I, I think that, yeah, you know, Dirty Honey's had a lot of success without a label. So that's, that's proof right there in the pudding that it can be done. And they did it with grassroots by playing freaking a ton of shows, man. And that's what we plan on doing. And, you know, combine that with, you know, Jason and his, you know, prowess and um, his stance in the industry. I, I think that uh, we're, we're set up, you know, to succeed. We just got to show up and, and perform. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Dirty Honey has made, made no qualms about it. They've had help. They've had money help. They've had people on their side helping them along the way. It's not like they opened up the back of their van and they were successful. It's definitely uh, not the 80s with these massive record labels, and uh, that's the only way you can have success today. But I'm interested to hear the record. Is the record done then? The record is complete, the full record? Yeah, the, the, the songs were, the 10 songs were all recorded at the same time when we were um, at Sunset Sound um, Studios in L.A. last uh, last June. So, yeah, that's why, you know, we're so adamant about releasing, you know, the album as originally planned because we want it to, you know, it's, it's, it's an art piece to us and we want it to be listened to as that. So, you know, we're just we're just finalizing when it's actually going to be um, 
fully released and it's going to be sooner rather than later. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I'll ask this to you first, Tom. What does music do for you personally? Oh, man. <laughs> music, uh, it always picks me up, man. Music, oh, I always love listening to music because I'm either, I'm either listening to some pumped up shit like Van Halen or ACDC or whatever, or I'm listening to some cool vibey shit like Pink Floyd or, you know, whatever like that. Uh, and so I, it, always, it always just makes me feel better, like working or whatever, turn on some music, automatically makes it funner. How about you, Justin? I think it's the same for me, man. I I like to uh, you know play and you know play my guitar and play you know with with the guys because you know they're my best friends and it's the one time you know in my day where the world you know just feels like it kind of stops spinning and all the problems go away, man. So that's that's the feeling I got from it from the second I picked up the instrument. And that's you know well you know why I will pick it up until the day I die. Yeah, I I, I think I missed this question. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, no. You answered it. <laughs> Do you prefer the studio or the stage? Stage, for yeah, sure. They're, they're two different animals, and the studio is always fun. But, yeah, we, we record songs so we can perform them. You yeah, know? We, we record live and everything. And, and we've, we've only ever been in the studio, what, 11 days in a row? I think it's the longest. Like that, yeah, because yeah, when we went out and recorded the album at Sunset, including the four off the EP, we had 11 days in the studio, so yeah. we got it done. And even by the end of 11 days, I was getting kind of stir crazy. <laughs> you know, you can only be in the studio so long. So, but we like doing that anyways, because it keeps the energy up and it keeps the, keeps the lightning bright. When you went in the studio, was all the stuff already written? You just had to knock it out? Yeah, we had a lot. Well, we had a lot that was written. We had a lot that, you know, skeletons of ideas that we brought with us. And we had songs that we wrote from scratch as well while we were out there but the majority of of it was songs that were written and com, you know completed while we were out there and kind of honed in and and made better so to speak so you did actually do some writing while you were in the studio recording oh yeah. absolutely yeah. lots of writing okay there's a uh, two different types of uh school for that a lot of people say hey recording time is so expensive studios are so expensive we want to make sure that we're absolutely ready to go when we walk in the studio and some people don't mind changing and working while they're in the studio that's why i asked that question that's definitely what we are and that's kind of what greg allowed us to be because we went in and met with him uh and he you know was basically just like hey i can i can do whatever like tell me how you guys want to do this right so we told him and we like we had a lot of songs we were batting back and forth up until like two or three days before we went to the studio and then we cut it down to probably 13 or 14 and then really practiced the shit out of those but only for like two or three days so when we went in the studio the shit was still pretty fresh and there was a lot of different writing moves and a lot of different changes and stuff that we added or subtracted or whatever in the studio actually and yes recording time is expensive we recorded it to tape that's expensive but greg just completely took on the ideology of us which is like you just take the time and make it right and the best way to do it is to make it fresh you know how does the writing process work with you guys does it start with a guitar riff or you know vocal melody or you know does one person bring the idea in how does that all work for you guys a lot of times, E. Hob will have have an idea because he does a lot of his writing on acoustic guitar. Or I'll have a lick and an idea that you know I need you know a verse to or a chorus to or something, and we come together and it's a really collaborative process. And you know we always make sure that each guy gets his licks and so to speak. We make sure that the song structure is good and there's you know a good hook and a catch and a point to the song. And after that, we make sure that each guy gets his licks in. Okay, cool. 
what else is on the horizon for you guys? Or are you guys in just a constant holding pattern with this COVID like most people? Well, man, we actually, uh, funny you should say, we got uh, two very COVID compliant shows coming up uh, this Friday and Saturday. Uh, I know probably none of your listeners, it's, uh, it's in Columbus, but uh, it'll be the first time we've hit the stage in quite some time. So we've been just spending a lot of time perfecting the show, perfecting the you know the stage and and the set list and how we're gonna present these songs and everything so that's on the horizon and then after that just more honing and more practicing yeah and we and we'll have more more shows on the horizon and the album will be getting released and you can get all of our stay up to date on all of our stuff on all social media platforms at south of eden band you know we're constantly posting and putting little teasers and content on there that's the best way to to uh, keep track of us. I'll tie all of your links in the show notes. We'll have all the links to South of Eden. And is there anything that you guys want to tell us before we get on out of here? Our merchandise is available at District Lines slash South of Eden. Yeah, DistrictLines.com slash South of Eden. Yeah. My bad. No. We uh, updated a lot of uh, really awesome merch on there. And, you know, I would just say that, you know, thank you guys so much for listening and, and you know, to hear us you know chatter on here for a little <laughs> bit and hopefully uh you came to uh you know experience some new new bands and hear about some new music and we'd much appreciate it if you haven't already to check us out you know wherever you stream or listen to music it's out um band south of eden and our ep is called uh the talk the talk oh the talk then. Hey, the talk Are we want to have the talk then all. all right absolutely crank it up new music spotlight south of eden justin and tom thanks so much for your time get ready to shuffle rattle and roll play us out boys
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock.